0: bible reading and we're reading from Philippians 1 verses 12 to 26 it's titled Paul's chains advance the gospel now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that i am in chains for christ and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to, be, to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better for, by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I, now, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you for that. And good morning everybody. With God's word before us. Let's open in prayer and ask the Lord just to reveal again what he wants to say through his word this morning. Would you bow with me as we seek God's grace and and his voice this morning? How good it is, Heavenly Father, to have your word, and how good it is that Jesus is the word. And Lord, we just believe in you this morning in such a way that our hearts are open and our minds are stilled. And we're ready to receive, Lord, the things that you have for us. So with our quiet hearts as well. We just believe, Lord, that you will anoint us with such a, an understanding that it's the word of the Lord that speaks. And this is something, Lord, we've come to hear and we've come to expect from you because you're the Father who loves us and wants to communicate that love in such a way that it'll build up our faith in you. So, Lord, help us this day, we pray, to take on board the things that you have for us, to put them into practice to be true to you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So a few weeks ago already, I started in the book of Philippians, and knowing that I was going to be rost on for a, a few more uh, sermons as such, or a few more Sundays, um, I've got today and two to go. So basically, we're looking through the book of Philippians. We started with chapter 1 last a uh, few weeks ago, and as uh, Eve has just read to us now, we're going to continue in chapter 1 of Philippians from 12 to 26 with a title, The Purpose of the Pit. Now, I've taken that from a friend who wrote a piece called The Purpose of the Pit. In this case more, it's a case of the purpose of the prison. Now, in Paul's case, it was pretty obvious. He was there confined. He was not going anywhere in a hurry. And being in a prison is the pits. It's being in that dark place. It may not have walls around it may have some bars around it it may have some things in about it that you cannot get out of but being in it you have a place sometimes where you just don't know where to go this is your pit this is your prison and guess what you didn't ask to be there how does that work out Paul certainly didn't ask to be put in prison for him it was let's go advance the gospel how's that going to work in prison Does God have a purpose in the pit? Yes, I can tell you now that even as Paul was writing this to the Philippians and remembering back in that first time the Philippian church was started by Paul and Silas and uh, together they were actually put in prison in Philippi and here he is, Paul, writing again from another prison, this time in Rome. Paul and prisons, the things seem to go together, don't they? And what is Paul saying here? Just to go back to verse 12 and 13 of this chapter 1 in Philippians. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It doesn't look like it. Man's not going anywhere. But it's really serving to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Who would have thought? Here's Paul. He's saying, "What has happened to me?" Notice the difference. He's not saying, "Why has this happened to me?" He's quite convinced God's got a purpose for the pit. So you can see what has happened. And as he sits there, and we don't know how long he was in that pit or in that prison, but he's watching things happen, he's taking the opportunities, and there's this ripple effect going on amongst the guards. You know, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He had his agenda, as it were, to say, to preach to the Romans there. And you can imagine his agenda was one that maybe standing there in the Colosseum or something like that and saying, proclaiming before Caesar, didn't quite work out to his plan and purposes, but God still had a way to get him to Rome. And God, in his interesting ways of doing things, starts from within the palace guard. Now, look, strategy... And evangelism and seeking to extend God's kingdom to advance the gospel comes in all different ways and, and means. But I don't think we would have chosen the palace guard as our first port of call, as it was even in Philippi, when Paul and Sardis went there, they went first to ladies who were having a prayer meeting. Who would have thought that a church would grow out of a prayer meeting? Hmm. Good thought. And then Paul went on and he met a young girl who was demon possessed. He delivered her. Who could have thought that a church could actually do, come out of a ch- deliverance of evil? And then Paul and Silas get put into prison and the prison god comes to salvation and his whole family. So who would have thought a church could come out of a prison god and his family? So this is the way God seems to work in strange and mysterious ways. There's a purpose in the pit. And I wonder if Paul perhaps pondered the stories He's not the first one to have landed in a pit or a prison. And if you have time, read through the Word of God. Understand that you are not alone. Your situation is not unique. Somebody somewhere along the way has come and been in your situation. You are not unique. Okay. Once upon a time, way, way back, thousands of years earlier, there was a young man called Joseph. He was the favorite son of his dad, Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph so much, Gave him that fantastic technicolor rainbow, colored coat. And, well, Joseph went out saying, hey, look at me, look at me. And his brothers did, and they didn't like what they saw, and they stuck him in a pit. They sold him as a slave. That was not according to Joseph's plan. But God had a plan in the pit, a purpose. And the story does go on. Eventually, out of that, even being put into prison, Joseph came to realize when his brothers came to see what was going on, not realizing where Joseph was, Joseph said these words in Genesis 45. When Joseph's brothers wanted him dead in a pit and sold as a slave, he said, don't be distressed. Easy to say. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was not you, but God who sent me here. How does that work with Paul's situation? It was to save lives that God sent him into a prison. So wherever you are right now, is it there to advance the gospel? Yes, it is. You may not think it, but you are there. And this is, what Paul, uh, this is what Joseph eventually said in chapter 50 of Genesis. God intended it for good. Purpose of pits, we probably wouldn't class them as a good place to be. But God intended it for good. Why? Because the saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. That was Joseph's lot. And that pit is going to turn out for good. And as Paul says here, it's going to turn out for his deliverance, his salvation, and for many, many others as well. When you read through this uh, book of Philippians, if you care to follow on, because I'll be doing this in progression sort of in the next few weeks, see if you can get hold of the, the message version, because basically what Paul was saying here, the message version says, they did not shut me up. They actually gave me a pulpit. So where was this going to happen now? Where the Romans thought they were going to shut Paul up. And meanwhile, it was a pulpit. He has an opportunity now to expand and advance the gospel. There it is. God sending him ahead. And that was Paul's situation, actually. That even in the circumstance of the prison, somehow Paul didn't find his joy in these ideal circumstances. And I think that's what we sort of continue looking for is, Where's the next happy place? And we keep searching, we keep hoping that maybe over there by the trees and things like by the river or down by the seaside, there'll be a happy place, there'll be a place. Ideal circumstances don't do that. Paul could find joy in a prison. How does that work out? When he knows that he's there advancing the gospel, advancing the gospel, he found his joy because he reckoned he's there to win others to Christ. The rest, leave it in God's hands. If God's brought you this far, that's what He's intending to do, putting you in a place of influence. And if Paul's circumstances promoted the furtherance of the gospel, as some translations say, I like that word furtherance, others would talk about the advance of the gospel, well, that's all that mattered in Paul's situation. Even in Joseph's situation, it said the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. So in those circumstances, in that prison, God was there as well, giving him success. The word success in Joseph's case was actually more translated, he was able to advance things. He was able to push forward. He was able to basically make things happen, even in a prison. He was given certain liberties, and I'm sure that probably happened in Paul's case as well. And the whole thing of advancing the gospel is this pioneering. It's a great word. You're pioneering the gospel. You're going to places, you're in situations, nobody is actually better equipped than you. Who would have thought that you are equipped for that place and that time and that purpose? Just write that. Pioneer the advance. It's to do with the, the pioneers even in the army. My dad actually um, was a sapper, as it did these uh, combat engineers and they go forward. They go to prepare. They make sure that there's mobility available. They'll do things build bridges and all the rest of it. Of course when they retreat they'll break the bridges down but let's just say that when they go forward they are there making things happen to create mobility that's what it is all this pioneering here and Paul's circumstances well they really opened up new areas of ministry he probably would have never been able to speak to a palace guard if he wasn't in prison you don't go knocking on the emperor's door say please can I have a chat with your uh, you know your guards over there uh no that wouldn't have happened but because he was placed inside in a place of influence. That was his new frontier. I like that word frontier. Who remembers Star Trek? Space, the final frontier. I could have the music going on in the background like that as well. But no, this is it. Wherever it is that you are, there's a frontier. There's a new opportunity. Think of it in that way, wherever God's placed you in a place of influence like that. comes to mind many years ago when I was um, working in Johannesburg I was asked if I would leave a particular company with the promise of there will be work in that company over there. It was something thought. well, if I leave this one, it makes space for another guy to stay. I thought, all right, I'll do that. With the promise that in the new company, I would be prepared to learn all about cables, electrical cables and their distribution. I would spend six months learning this thing. What they didn't tell me was that the warehouse was literally like a prison only a little windows up around the top like that and bars. We were actually up on a first floor. They said, just spend six months there and you'll learn all about it and then you'll go out on the road and be the rep for a company. I said, oh, I can manage six months. Six months came. They said, oh, we're still not quite ready for you yet and my prison was starting to, the walls getting a little bit claustrophobic. I said, how long? Oh, if you just wait another six months. I said, another six months. But yeah, okay. In the meantime, I was talking and we were making a great conversation with the uh, warehouse manager, a dear old man called George. George's health was not well, but we had conversations, many conversations, because there were lots of quiet times in between having to roll off cable from drums and get those things sorted. And eventually, um, at the end of the year, George went home and fell asleep and didn't wake up the next morning. George died in his sleep. What were we going to do now for a warehouse manager? Oh, I know. Bernard's still there. Well, another year passed. And I'm still talking to these people saying, well, I've been here for now two years. Don't you think it's about time I actually got out on the road? Because I think I know pretty well what I'm doing now. Oh, dear. Anyway, I didn't last too long in that company. I did get out on the road, though. That, that was it. But, um, yeah, the waiting, the waiting. What? Does it matter, says Paul? What's the important thing here? As long as Christ is preached. Verse 18. I've just got to read this to you as well. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance or turn out for my salvation And I suppose, in a way, those two years, as I was waiting on the Lord, gave me opportunities just to engage with the workers there as well and learn some new things, learn a lot of patience. That's all part of the prison process. But at the end, I said, what does it matter? I believe my conversations with George brought him closer to God and I believe he came into God's presence the day he died. But Paul tells us here, when we're going to do this, We've got to try to live fearlessly We've got to try and speak courageously. Those are two extremes, to be fearless and to be courageous. Not an easy task in each body's life, I'm sure. But as you are more aware of your situation and the thing that God would want of you, it's a great prayer to pray. Lord, give me faith to be fearless. Give me faith to be courageous so that when I do get opportunities to talk, then I'll know that I am going to advance the gospel even through those circumstances. Be fearless. Be courageous. You know, when Paul talks about those sort of things, he's talking about have this right attitude. Just have this attitude that's going to lead to godly behavior. It's so easy when you're in a prison to say, woe is me, and everything starts to cloud around you, and everybody, uh, they don't want to be near you because you're just too cloudy and cool and not very pleasant. But he says, have this right attitude. Get it in your mind. And it will lead then to more godly behavior, but to more godly attitudes as well. So that when people do find you that you are in a prison, they say, oh, look at you. You're actually in prison, and you're recognizing that it's not a bad place to be sometimes. Whatever that prison looks like. That's what he's looking at. And then even right behavior. Can also begin to shape attitude. So it's all to do with what's going in your mind and how it comes out in your the way you just act with people. That's your attitude, and that's what's going to say. There's something happening in this guy. He's in a prison, and he's not behaving like a normal prisoner. Hmm. What's the difference here? You know, Paul. He could go on to boast about many things, and he can also go on to rejoice. And the thing that he's actually been aware of. Uh, this is not the first time he's been in prison. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11:23, I've got to read this to you. It's, it's a bit of a story here. Paul had been in prison more frequently, beyond measure. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul could tell you the story that he had been lashed with 39 lashes five times. Paul can also tell you that he'd been beaten with rods three times that many he could also tell you about the time he was stoned now usually when you get stoned I know, pun you don't wake up again because seriously they stoned you to death in Lystra they took him out of the city and they just kept on pummeling him and he dropped what happened then? all it tells us is the disciples gathered around him and suddenly he's awake again talks about going to paradise in Corinthians at a moment I got a funny feeling that that was his moment of just saying I'm out of here and God's saying this is what's going to be for you in the future but wait, the job's not yet done they don't say how, all I can believe is that they asked Lord God is this the end of Paul's life and God basically said not yet it's still going on Three times he was shipwrecked? Now, come on, folks. (laughs) I think one's enough, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) what's going on here? But going back to the prison, he doesn't actually mention how many times. Now, I would have thought every time I'm in prison, I'll remember it, I'll remember it, I'll remember it. But eventually, I think this became the way of life for Paul that he's in prison again. He's in prison again. Oh, what does it matter? I'm in prison again. And off he goes. This is life suddenly, the way life God intended it. The one thing in Second Corinthians chapter 11 says here, at the end of it, it says, a night and a day I spent in the deep sea. That may not sound so significant when you think, well, he's been shipwrecked. But a night and a day is quite an interesting thing in the deep because what he says here is, I pass through the waters. I pass through something in the middle of the night. I don't know if you can picture yourself. God forbid that it should happen. But if you're out in the waters, in the deep, and it's middle of the night, you don't know where it's up. You don't know where down. You don't know where your surroundings are. You've got no compass, of no bearing, basically, to say where the horizon is until the day dawns. And then you will start to see from where the sun rises. And there's Paul. And he'd been in this water a night and a day. You know, while that's going on, God's at work. Who remembers the very first verses of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. This is where God does his work in the darkness out there where you have no idea perhaps that where is God because you cannot see. It's dark out there. There was darkness on the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's things happening here even in the darkness with Paul that he'll remember one day and he probably remember a verse that came out of Isaiah 43. It says, Fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When? You pass through the waters. I will be with you. They will not sweep over you. Notice the emphasis on when you pass through the waters. So, why did I go back to Genesis here? There's Paul. It's dark. And he's waiting for the light. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Can you just picture out in the deep blue sea, dark sea? When the light comes, that's God. That's where he's starting. When the light comes, that's where God's at work. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, nighttime, and there was morning, the first day, the first day. One day when we get to heaven, you need to ask Paul, how was it out there in the deep? How did it go for you? You see, the thing that was, intrigues me with this one is that he uses a particular word in this experience of going through this, passing through the waters, that nobody else actually used in the whole of the New Testament apart from Jesus. And that always intrigues me. So if this was a word that Jesus used, and the word is basically passing through or doing something the only place that Jesus used that particular word that Paul was using as his experience of going through these waters was actually when Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples in John 13 and he washed their feet not a significant moment in anybody else's life perhaps but he was using water and he was in a situation where these men now realized something's, something's happening here and it's not quite right God is at work even in the washing of my feet? God is at work, even in the middle of the deep blue sea? And Jesus asked this question, and this is where the same word is. He says, Do you know what I've done to you? Do you know what I've done to you? That sounds so, yeah, you've washed my feet, Jesus. Jesus would say, no, there's so much more that's going on here. Do you know what I've done for you? Paul uses that same word, what had been done for him in this experience of being out on the sea. There was Paul, realizing that, first of all, God is his father, first and foremost, which means that we can learn to trust him, first and foremost, to give him the resources, to give him the strength, to give him the faith to believe, yes, that through all these things, he's going to make it. He's going to get through. There will be light. The darkness will come ascend and the light will come through trust that must be something that we have to build on something to believe in of course as Paul says at the end of all that in verse 22 talks along these lines that if I'm to go on living in this body and how many times didn't he come that close well and probably did even come that close to leaving the body if I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Well, I don't know, Paul. I think actually Jesus is going to choose it for you. But uh, he asked the question, hey, I could have died so many times, so many times. And here I am still, still offering this service to the Lord. And what's going on here? Fruitful labor? It's character building. God is making us into people with particular gifts and talents and particular qualities as well. And those only come out when they come through times of prison. And the purpose of the prison is to get your character built up. So that one day, someday, it'll just be a displayed through your actions. You're in this prison again, the actions will come out. How do I respond? Not why am I in this prison again, but how do I respond? Well, convinced of this says Paul I know I will remain for your progress that word progress again advancement the advancement of the gospel is the progress that's going to happen of joy in the faith advancing the gospel and advancing through adversity I like this little picture basically where Paul was saying well if I go on living it's a good thing for you if I die hey I gain sorry about that guys I'll wait for you in heaven. But basically he's saying, hey, either which way, I can do this. God's got me this far. And you see where that boat's pointing? Somewhere, somewhere in the distance, somewhere that Paul knew. He'd been to heaven. He'd seen what was going to happen. He knew this was the end destination. If we just know where we're heading, boy, it makes all the difference. Do we know if we're heading to heaven? Do we know the way there? Do we know that the way we are right now is right with God God's asking the question I've prepared a place for you it's got your name on the door heaven's waiting advancement through the adversity acknowledging then that there will be times of suffering there will be times of stress and even Paul told those people at Lystra even after he'd been uh, stoned in that place he said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven we've got to go through them remember? They don't stop there. We do go through them with God's help. And when we go through them, we ask God again. All right, God, where are you in the circumstances? If I'm in a prison situation right now, I'm in the pits, Lord. Where are you in this situation? Help me to see you. And then reflect on, all right, what's going to bring God glory in the way I act, my behavior, my attitudes? People are going to look. People are going to learn. People are going to discuss How are you doing in your pit? How are you doing? The purpose of the pit. Pity the person who cannot perceive the positive potential in pits. How many Ps were in that sentence? I'll say it again. There's no test, and I'll tell you why just now. Pity the person who cannot perceive the positive potential in pits. I met a guy over in the States a while ago. His name is Stan Key. Stan is on the board of OMS directors. And... um, yeah. He uh, wrote a thing called The Purpose of the Pit. Uh, basically, it's proliferated with P words. You got that? Proliferated with P words. Are you ready for it? The Purpose of the Pit. Think prison, think anything that's basically hemmed you in and does not let you out. Pits pose a problem for people who ponder. Is my pit a punishment for poor performance? Will pits persist perpetually? Pits are profoundly puzzling Pits are part of God's providence A primary point I'm passionate to promote But precisely pits are part of God's plan for people Don't be paralyzed by pointlessly pondering Whether he personally puts people in pits Or perhaps permits them to be put in such a predicament Probing such problems only produces perplexity And prohibits progress When you perceive yourself in a pit Ponder these principles Pits have the power to Puncture pride Prove the power of prayer. Put away pity perspectives. Produce perseverance. Prompt praise. Practice patience. Promote peace. Protect purity. Publish the power of God's promises and prove providence. As he says, pity the person who can't perceive the positive potential in pits. Well... Stan is looking after his wife now who's gone through cancer and through one of the treatments. She had a stroke. She's been incapacitated for a number of years now. What's been a rather interesting story that he wrote that even before she had the the stroke and already it was becoming a a prison. How am I going to deal with my wife's situation? And he was starting to wonder how's this going to all work out? Another interesting thing is on that board of OMS directors over in the States two men had already on that board lost their wives to cancer and he was now going to be the third one. I don't know how they were going through this. Pity the person who can't perceive the positive potential in pits. Easy to say, never easy to live but by God's grace he'll get us through. So when you pass through those waters fear not will not wash over you there's been a, a few stories in this one that maybe um, has uh, touched something of your heart if you want to spend a moment just bow before the Lord in prayer and just say Lord this is a pit help me to perceive the positive potential in it help me to understand what's going on and how together we can get through it spend a moment before the Lord in quiet and then I'll close in prayer in a minute So, gracious Lord, we have to ask again the question, even as Paul wrote it to the church in Philippi, that he was convinced of this, knowing that as he remains, he will continue with all of us, all of them, for the progress and joy in the faith. Lord, we don't quite understand how that joy is going to look. We don't even understand what sort of feeling it is, but we do believe that through faith in you, you will help us to treat and to come across everything in a new perspective with new eyes to see that there can still be joy and we can still rejoice because God's at work in us and with us. And as Paul says, whatever happens, we're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then to be able to stand firm. Lord, help us to stand firm, we pray. Help us to be resilient. Help us to have that faith that is everlasting. And Lord, we just pray again that each one may know peace and the love and the joy of the Jesus Christ. In his name we pray it. Amen.